You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, March 24, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Thomas Thornton, founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Tom, just one moment. Let's take a look right now at what's happening in U.S. equity markets because they were strengthening into the close uh, on NASDAQ, which looks like the big gainer of the day, uh, up one spot, 9.3%. Closing out here, it looks like 14,190, call it 192. Uh, S&P 500 up almost 1.5%, one spot, 4.4%. Uh, 65 points gain up, closing out the day at 4,520. Dow Jones Industrial Average up an even 1%, closing out the day at 34,703. Tom, so much to talk about. It's been a minute since you and I have done one of these. Really interested to get your big picture take on what's happening in markets right now. Well, it's been really just an amazing year so far. We've had so many good opportunities for the short side and on the long side. And I'm just trying to navigate. And I've looked at this market at the beginning of the year, and I said it's going to be a very tactical year, which what that means is you basically are going to have to be a bit more active on the trading side. And my view, and it's really holding up, is that we would make a series of lower highs, lower lows, and continue. And I think that um, we have several catalysts that have been front and center on the market's mind. That's inflation and the Fed and what the Fed is going to do. Now we have a pretty good idea what the Fed's going to do. And we also had, unfortunately, Ukraine creep into the picture. Sadly enough, uh, it's not over, but there are some hints today that uh, there could be a ceasefire. And honestly, I just looking at the pictures of what's left in Ukraine, I don't know what more they can bomb. It's just it's devastating. Yeah, it's a truly horrific humanitarian crisis uh, happening right now, and uh, truly a terrible thing for people who are in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, we have to look at this a, a bit from the from the framework of markets. I'm curious, how do you think about when you see a geopolitical crisis, a humanitarian crisis like this on the ground that has market implications? How do you think about it? How do you analyze it? And how do you fit it into your thesis? Well, the markets hate uncertainty. And when it first started, everything started to fall apart. You had commodity spike. You had the the grains, the, the wheat, um, soybeans, corn. Everything just went nuts. And you had oil, especially, uh, go ballistic. And once things started to moderate a bit, uh, and the news didn't get worse. Let's just say it didn't moderate, but it, the news didn't get worse. It was pretty steady things started to come back down. Hmm. And market sentiment, which is something I look at um, every single day, all day, it, it basically was so extreme with all the commodities. Commodity bullish sentiment was at 96%. Now, we look at it from zero to 100, and the 96% is about as high as it's ever going to get. And I think I only saw crude at 97% once. So I actually shorted crude, and 
that caused a real ruckus on Twitter. And the next day it dropped and I was like, what am I going to do? I got to cover this. It was too good. So it's come down. I just reshorted uh, crude. It's not a you know, overly giant position, but I think it's a bit extended. I'm seeing DeMarc exhaustion signals start to show up. And Tom, is this uh, WTI, May 22 contracts you're looking at? You can do WTI. I, I have it on my site that I shorted USO and because uh, a lot of people like the ETF. Right. So it's just, it's a trade. We'll see how it works. But I, I think the main catalyst is still the Fed and inflation. And now we're starting to hear more about 50 basis points from everyone. All the Fed heads are talking 50 basis points and front-loading it and really accelerating it. And I think that's going to be consensus uh, come um, next May. And it's early May, and it's been six, it'll be six weeks in between meetings. And I actually had a friend of mine from a big sell-side firm just imploring, saying they've got to raise 100 immediately they've got to do it i was like well that's just a little much but i wouldn't be shocked if they did do an intermeeting uh hike it wouldn't shock me at all especially when we get the cpi on april 12th i believe and i think that one's going to be just a barn burner it's going to freak people out Really interesting, Tom. Let's double click on that because it's such an important point. I think uh, final uh, PPI, producer price index, FD, the final destination, final uh, goods uh, PPI, uh, topped 10% in the double digits right now. You mentioned this implication uh, for a 50 basis point hike. That really is probably the most significant conversation that I hear uh, happening right now. Uh, I'm looking right now at, at, at my Bloomberg terminal for the implied uh, rate delta for the 5-4 meeting. This is the May 4th meeting, uh, and it's got uh, it looks like it's priced right now at an implied increase of uh, 43 basis points. Uh, so uh, market basically saying moving toward 50. Yeah, I think I think without a doubt you're, that's going to become consensus. And the, so the, there's I, I always look for you know catalysts that can happen. Um, I have the what could go right and what could go wrong type of list I have. And the one thing I I believe that we're going to start to see are it's it's kind of on the mike wilson theme that in april the earnings are going to start to come out and there'll be some real good earnings but there'll also be a lot that have let's say they're a little squishy with guidance or they have real expense problems with inflation wage costs labor car the uh, material costs and shipping delays are still happening so i think that we yeah. might see some real problems with the a lot of equities that are a lot of companies that are gonna you know that have already been down and could still get beat down i mean we saw it with adobe uh, they were down significantly and then their guidance wasn't very good and they knocked them down another 10 percent. so it's it's a little early to be speculating on that but that's kind of on my radar right now yeah while we're talking about rates, I wanted to take a look at a clip because it's very germane to this point that we're talking about right now uh, from a show called Recession Risk. Do slowing global liquidity flows signal the next downturn? This is a conversation that I had with Mike Howell um, of Cross Border Capital on the essential plus and pro tiers at Real Vision. So all tiers, it actually airs next week, 328. Uh, but I wanted to take a look at this clip because it really is kind of right in the wheelhouse of what we're discussing right now. Let's take a look. Now, what this is telling us is the appetite 
among investors for risky investments is absolutely collapsing here. In other words, what they're rushing towards is the safety of a 10-year of a bond. And that's the, the safest asset for many investors in the system. And that's what they're really going for. So the flattening in that curve is saying that the appetite for risk is, dis, is plunging. Now, that's not a great backdrop when you've got the cost of refinancing going up and a lot of refinancing to do. So what you'd expect to see right now are the credit markets beginning to sell off. And if you want to, you know, outside of this, of this, uh, this hour talk, look at the relationship between credit spreads and the yield curve, inverted yield curve. What you'll find is that the yield curve, the government, the treasury yield curve, leads the credit markets by around about nine months. So a big flattening in the curve, which we've seen, should now be causing spreads to widen. And hey, what's happening? We, that's, what, that's what the path is saying. Mike Howell is starting out talking about flattening of the yield curve, but he ends with an interesting point, which is this notion uh, that flattening of the yield curve tends to precede uh, the uh, spread widening uh, between um, on, on the corporate side, uh, meaning tightening credit conditions. I'm curious, Tommy, I think he said about nine months is the typical average uh, time that we see those spreads widen after yield curves flatten. Curious to think uh, what your thoughts are about that. Where are you on uh, credit spreads and its implications for the U.S. economy? I heard someone today say something so brilliant, and he said there is a yield curve spread just about for everyone, everyone's narrative. So I, I would agree uh, with what he said that if, if we start to, um, uh, I mean, we're flattening and if things start to steepen, that's usually when it's time we're in a recession. If you go back and you look in the periods of recessions, that's generally what's happened. But it has to, you know, you know, flatten and then and then have that turn. And we haven't seen a turn yet. My view on bonds right now, and I've had a bunch of people ask. I actually uh, bought. I've been. I've had a view, and I, I have to like back up and think about this because I was just on with D Jared Dillian. Um, a few weeks ago, and it's all changed a bit. Uh, at the time, I've, I've been short bonds. I've expected rates to go higher. And then we had a period uh, when I was with Jared, I said, look, I think there's going to be a risk off. And this is when Ukraine was really starting to heat up and rates went down. I said, but I, I see 2.45 on the 10 year sometime today, or this year, sorry, today, maybe today. Um, it's still early. <laughs> Uh, uh, but basically that's it and now i'm looking at things at more of a short term we could see rates drop and bonds get, catch a bid uh, bullish sentiment on bonds is at 10 percent bulls that's super low uh, i'm starting to get some demark signals on well there was some for tlt and ief and the 10 and 30 year uh, the yields still have a few days left uh, to fulfill those exhaustion signals. So that's on my radar that we could see uh, a bit of a, a bond bid uh, happen and develop. But the weekly more inter inter intermediate, I'm trying to talk here, hello, um, cut. Anyway, uh, intermediate term and longer term, I still see uh, yields going higher. And I, th I think that's going to be something that um, 
it's going to be choppy, but I, I think we could see, you know, on a 10 and a 30, I think over 3%, um, some down, somewhere down the road here. Yeah, we should say UST uh, 10, 10 year treasury yields right now trading at uh, looks like two spot uh, three six right now. Obviously, uh, significant steepening of the ten year. Uh, it was we as you see that significant increase, I should say, in yield uh, as prices deteriorate on the ten year. And and you can get uh, a two year for two point one three percent. That's a bargain. And five year at almost two point four. I think we were on this a year ago, and I was telling you my credit people that I I speak to. We were all looking at the two-year and five-year, and that's where people were hiding out. And I think it was um, the two-year, and I said, you know, the real breaking point is going to be when it breaks 25 basis points, and now here we are above 2%. Ooh, you know, big, big moves. Two's, two's fives is still looking relatively flat, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 210 is... Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, the two fives a little steeper. I think I have my two ten here, but um, anyway, so that's my thought on bonds. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good trades in, involved on the long and short side. So I'm just again, it's very tactical for me right now. I'll buy them and sell them and do everything I possibly can. But I really look at market sentiment at as a leading. Uh, something a condition that I look for, and then I layer into mark indicators, and a couple other things that that tend to give me a pretty good read of when to buy and sell at extremes. Yeah, two's ten spread right now at uh, twenty three basis points, and when you look at this chart uh, on a one year time horizon, you can basically ski down it from uh, one point five down to twenty three bips. Yeah, it's been <laughs> again. There's a, a yield curve for every narrative. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Tom, talk to us a little bit about uh, your sentiment indicators, what you look for, and how you think about sentiment in markets, because it's an important part of your thesis. Well, when I was uh, at my hedge fund um, way back, I did a lot of the te technical work for the firm, and I also um, looked at market sentiment. And I spoke with all the big sentiment polling companies, Ned Davis, uh, Market Vane, Investors Intelligence. And the one that I really liked was the Daily Sentiment Index from Jake Bernstein. And so what I've done is I have all of Jake's hard data numbers and I put them on charts. Uh, and really you can kind of get a great read because when things look really scary, market sentiment is really low. And you can say, well, this is where it gets when it is real scary and it's, it can't go much lower than this. Uh, by history, um, historic measures. And so it, it really is very helpful. And so sentiment is more of a condition. So I have to overlay a trigger on that to when it turns. So there's also the other part of when market sentiment goes above or below 50%. 
And I think, Brian, we have the S&P. We can show the S&P sentiment chart. Okay. So this is uh, the S&P index on top and the daily sentiment index on the bottom. And this is actually a one-year chart. It doesn't show that. Uh, no, it's a two-year. Think uh, and basically you can see how it's chopped around down here on the lows, and if you see on the in the middle of this chart, it really held the fifty percent level all year. You had these very shallow pullbacks of four percent. I think that was the biggest one, and that was like markets in turmoil on CNBC. But we've really broken it, and now we're in this bit of a regime where sentiment is depressed, and so it really works well. And it's lifted. It's uh, trying to get above 50%. And if it gets above 50%, I think we could see a little bit more support in the market. Now, I, I've actually been asked to talk about Bitcoin. Hey, let me just I, let me just jump in real quick because I wanted while we have this two-year chart up uh, of the S and P, this is a really interesting chart uh, because yesterday was actually the anniversary uh, of the lows on market from the COVID crisis, uh, and since then uh, the S and P 500 has es essentially doubled uh, from the lows. Uh, Nasdaq Composite doubles from the lows. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 90%, so just shy of doubling from the lows. Yeah, the market sentiment got to 10%. I think it was 10% on this low, and it hit it a couple times. In March of 2020, it hit 4% at the lows. And that was pretty much a call to say, okay, it's not gonna get worse, and if it does get worse, it probably won't last much longer, just based on these charts that have worked pretty well for me in the past. So go ahead, Tommy, you were about to hit uh, Bitcoin. Oh my God. So. I don't trade Bitcoin. I do analysis on Bitcoin charts. I don't know the ins and outs like you know you do, Ash. But uh, why don't we look at the sentiment chart for Bitcoin? We just started the Bitcoin charts for sentiment. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. And um, as you see, uh, it, it's rather correlated with uh, the price. And the thing that's interesting right now to me is it's the first time poking above, sentiment is poking above 50%. It hit 53% yesterday afternoon, and it's probably gonna be a lot higher today after the big move that we had. So this has been something I've been watching. Hmm. Um, I think that if you, tr if you trade with sentiment and the direction and there's a red line on the bottom there of uh, that's the 20-day moving average of sentiment and that's increasing as well and as you see uh just six months back the 20-day moving average of sentiment on bitcoin was trending down so if you really you can see a lot of little wiggles in there on the everyday price but if the moving average is going in your favor you have a pretty good um, you have wind in your sail right now. So, look, Brian, why don't you pull up the chart with the DeMarc analysis? Okay, there's a lot going on here, and I, I should probably put this on Twitter. I will later. But the bottom line is, um, if you look at the top, there was a DeMarc sequential 13 on the day before the, the sell signal on the day before the top. 
and that worked out pretty well. We had one happen in the middle of the down move, and that was one that I was hesitant to tell people to get long and buy. Uh, it just wasn't a full exhaustion signal, and there's that yellow line right there. That's the wave uh, pattern that or target that I had, and people were like, it can't go there, it can't go there, it did. But what's nice, I mean, you don't need to know DeMarc analysis or anything, but what's nice is it's built a nice base for the last few months. And I've been looking at 45,000 as a breakout level, and it's failed there a couple times. But the difference this time is that there's a little red two, and that red two coming after a green nine, those are DeMarc signals, the two goes to 13. So this is the second day of the sequential countdown. And it doesn't necessarily have to go in perfect order. It can skip. But ultimately, it's most likely that this will move higher. Um, and I, I still think that it will make a lower high. I don't know if it's going to get above the 53,000 level where that last bounce. Uh, so I'm watching it. Uh, I'm not necessarily bull or bear on, on it. I'm just explaining that there's potential there. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I want you to hit a couple of more uh, things just before we jump into questions because they're coming in fast and thick from our viewers here. Uh, but I'm curious about what your thoughts are, a conversation that's been had uh, around uh, markets and around macroeconomic circles about supply chains. I just watched a, a very sobering documentary uh, on uh, wallstreetjournal.com about how supply chains may stay impaired for quite some time. Essentially, what we're seeing here is a shock uh, caused by external factors. But what's really the challenge, it seems, uh, is that there are all these long-term Structural constraints to the supply chain, uh, particularly in long haul over road trucking uh, and at US ports, that just won't be resolved when, for example, uh, the sort of reopening trade uh, finishes or the challenges uh, in, uh, in Ukraine are hopefully resolved quickly. There are structural challenges beneath the surface. How does that play into your thesis and how do you use that lens to think about uh, your trades? I, I think it just puts more pressure on companies and their potential earnings capacity or what they can do. And I I just think that it's a it's a headwind for a lot of companies and they're gonna have to, you know, raise prices uh, across yeah. the board to get the products or pay more to get the products and materials uh, that they need. Yeah, it's not gonna go away anytime soon. And I think everybody that's really well versed in that has a very clear idea about that. And the more problems that happen, such as Ukraine um, and the COVID spike in China, it's just going to make it even a longer process. So yeah, don't. I'm not watching that Wall Street Journal. I've already. I've got plenty of negative things in my mind. <laughs> you know, my big takeaway, uh, Tom, was exactly what you said. If you wanted a, a one sentence summary, it's cost push inflation is going to come because these supply chain challenges are, are simply going to force uh, price increases across the chain, which is ultimately is going to impact final demand uh, and it's going to hit consumers. Yeah, the the, the consumer is. It, I mean, they're stretched right now, and they're upset about. They look at gas prices when they drive by the gas station, and they're not very happy about that. There's a lot of political implications in that as well. We're not going to get into that, but the consumer's stretched, and it's not going to get better really anytime soon. I mean, it's bespoke said, you know, that uh, gas prices were down one percent. 
uh, week over week, but crude prices were up 10%. What's wrong? Let's do an investigation. Um, it was just the complete opposite of how the government was blaming oil companies, which they tend to do. And okay, I'm not going to go there. That's a that's a long one. That's a Tony Greer one. That's where he rants. Well, pick a convenient villain is always a good uh, method uh, for politicians, right? Exactly. Exactly. Never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> Uh, before we get ourselves into trouble, we got a question coming in from JoJo from the Real Vision site. Uh, and the question is, Tom, can you talk about your, posi your short position uh, on Triple Q? Yeah, it's a hedge. It's just a hedge to, um, in, in case some negative, something more negative happens with Ukraine, um, it's, I, I'm down 2%. You know, it's a measured small position. And... Uh, I just wanted to have short exposure because I was just overly set up long last week and I've been peeling off long ideas um, and just taking profits fast and furious. But yeah, I just, I feel like if this is a lower high bounce, we're probably going to see it stall out uh, after options uh, tomorrow and maybe next week. And I just, I've kept it on because I'm worried about something else happening and I just want to um, that that hedge. So yeah, it's 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 a hedge. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. We had some great questions here, Tom. Obviously, big fans of yours. This one comes to us from Sean Daw. Uh, the question is, what is Tom's DM uh, indicator saying about oil prices? So it's a question about your DeMarc indicators on oil prices. Right. Any thoughts? Well, there's a couple things. I, and again, I combine it with the market sentiment. Market sentiment on crude went out yesterday at 91%. That's pretty high. That's extreme. And the DeMarc indicators, we did have a just a few days ago, um, a DeMarc sequential sell countdown 13. There might be a second one in progress as well. Sometimes they overlap, and that can be a little bit of a surprise. I, I don't think that we're going to see the old highs that we just were, the recent highs that we just had. I could be wrong. But I think things are a bit stretched. I think people are probably going to get caught off sides. And, you know, what What if something positive happens? I think crude prices will, will drop again. And the way, to, the way I'm playing the long side of crude prices going down and actually with jet fuel prices, I'm long airlines. And airline capacity is, is full. The airlines have all guided up. And I think that if you have any downtick in crude prices or jet fuel prices, which we already have, airlines are going to take off. That was, I didn't script that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's another question. Tom, talk about people who know you well. Uh, this one comes to us from Ralph Humphrey. And the question is, what's okay. Tom's highest conviction trade right now that doesn't include Tesla? Yeah, I, my Tesla trade. I'm I'm short Tesla. I've been short. I traded around. It's been fine this year. Uh, 
I like Palantir, and it's a pretty controversial name. And Kathy Wood just sold her entire position and knocked it down probably 30% just her. Thank you. I have DeMarc buy signals on the bottom. It's controversial, so there's a lot of shorts that are involved, and a lot of people will follow her trade ideas, and if she's selling something, they're going to short it and buy puts. So put activity's been very high. I calculate that as something that could unwind with a put squeeze. And the stock's just moving above its 50-day moving average for those that look at the 50-day moving average, it's bottoming. And I think it could go another 20, 30%. I kind of like it from the mysterious aspect of what they do. They're all about spying on people. And I think that's going to be a big uh, market, especially with our government spying on people. I think with companies spying on their employees, I think that they're going to be involved in a lot of defense contracts, spying on other countries. And yeah, that sounds awful, but I want to benefit from something I think is going to only increase. And they're real smart people there. And I, I think it's a, it's a longer term idea that uh, could play out well. You heard it here first. Tom Thornton is long the George Orwell trade. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's not a bad trade, honestly. I, I mean, do you think the government's going to stop prying, you know, their eyes into everything we do? It's become it's becoming obscene. And companies are going to want to know everything that's happening with their employees, where they can scan quickly uh, keywords and look through their their emails and their correspondence and texts and everything else and see what they're doing. It's frightening, but I'd rather be on the long side of this than the short side. Yeah. Tom, as we come to the conclusion of this conversation, final thoughts, key takeaways. Again, I think it's a tactical market. It's going to be one that you can't get too complacent on either the long or short side. I will make, I've told people this, I will make a bunch of mistakes this year. I guarantee it. I hope my biggest mistakes are selling things too early for a profit. That is what I'm looking at. I will sell a little too early, and hopefully we don't take too many drawdowns on things, and that usually doesn't happen. So, But selling too early, that's my, my worry right now. Tom, as always, a great conversation. We covered a lot of ground here today. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Always I, a pleasure. I, I always like hanging out and talking with you, Ash. Uh, we generally, after this, it's like we talk for 15 to 20 minutes after about everything else in the world. So, yeah. but it's really great. And it's just a nice, cool conversation that we can kind of shoot it. Super fun. I enjoy it too. Thanks yeah. a lot for joining us, man. Thanks. And thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. The crypto gathering is back. There is still one day left to catch this unmissable event. If you'd like to join, all of the details are at realvision.com forward slash crypto gathering. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto gathering. Tony Greer will be back tomorrow with Mike Howell, who you already heard from uh, today in this conversation from the clip to talk more about those uh, liquidity flows that we discussed here today. Hope you enjoy the show tomorrow as well. Thanks again for watching. Yeah.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.